Hello, I'm Paul Eaton, and this is In-Depth Commercial Real Estate. This show is an open exploration of the people, ideas, and methods behind commercial real estate. My guest on today's show is Anastasia Vladislavova. Anastasia is an analyst at Eisenberg & Company. Our topic today is one of her specialties, ground leases. Thank you today for coming on and talk about Eisenberg and ground lease transactions. Sure. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Paul. How did you become involved in ground lease transactions? Well, uh, this happened a long time ago. Our president, David Eisenberg, his joint venture with uh, one of his uh, partners. And back in the days, um, they were interested in ground lease transactions and uh, a good amount of those. But uh, those ground leases didn't look like anything that we're doing now. So years ago, we started this business. So at least five or six years ago, maybe more. <laughs> but I was not uh, involved back then. And the business transformed dramatically over years. Could you describe a typical ground lease transaction? Sure. It's very necessary to mention that um, ground leases that we are uh, doing nowadays differ a lot from what it used to be 100 years ago. As you know, in the U.S., this uh, type of capital, or back then it was just a form of lease, right? It exists for hundreds of years at this point, especially in New York. We know very good examples of ground leases and very bad examples of ground leases. So I would not describe <laughs> this uh, type of transaction as typical. I would describe something that we do nowadays as typical because... Um, this is something that can be used and should be used, in our opinion, in certain real estate deals to increase leverage, for example, or improve yield and um, return. But a typical deal that would involve a ground lease transaction would be probably multifamily or any asset class. Office could be office, could be hotel, even retail. So anything that is cash flowing that is not for sale. And um, a typical check size would be 10 million plus. Anything less doesn't really make sense to do from um, our standpoint. Is that $10 million of the total transaction, including the improvements and the land or this only is the, the land, value land portion? Okay. Land portion that we buy land at certain purchase price. And this price ideally should be more than $10 million. You mentioned how ground leases have changed over time. I know that, for example, in London, huge areas are under ground lease, are ground leases. And also in Manhattan, they've been quite common for a very, very long time. I don't think that ground leases have been used traditionally in other parts of the US. What's the difference between these older traditional types of ground leases and what Eisenberg is now involved in? How are they different? They're very different. <laughs> Um, back in the days, uh, I can speak about New York. I'm not mm. that familiar with London, for example. But in New York, these old ground leases were really not very leasehold owner or lender friendly, especially because they included market value resets and um, improvements owner, leasehold owner, couldn't really predict what would happen in 100 years. And this uh, exactly what we see now, 
hundred years later or less than hundred years. It's groundless is coming to its end, let's say, but uh, a groundless payment became so tremendous that sometimes it completely eats the whole NOI. And uh, it doesn't make sense to own the building anymore because uh, you don't make any money. Still, you have to spend, as an owner, you have to spend uh, a lot capex and uh, just maintaining the building. I'm talking about Chrysler building, for example, now. Right. Uh, it was bought a while back by, um, I think it was um, someone from Emirates, I think. They bought it at very high price, but it made sense back then. And then several years later, uh, ground lease payment became so crazy that they couldn't even sell the building. I mean, eventually they they managed to sell it, but with huge discount. And that was a famous transaction as a result of this problem with the ground lease, I believe. Yes. And um, we'll see what happens because uh, as far as I know, current owner has yet to negotiate the ground lease portion. Mm. Obviously, for the owner of the land, it also is very important to keep the owner of improvements happy and uh, let them still make some money so they can pay groundless payment and uh, maintain improvements in a good shape. Uh, it's um, Groundless shouldn't be a greedy document that uh, is catered uh, to least fee owner. It should be very least owner friendly. And um, that's exactly what we're doing nowadays. Some of my um, peers in the industry call it groundless 2.0. And that's because the document itself and um, terms there are really catered to make the ground is sort of like a payment, uh, like a, a capital structure, not uh, like just the lease by itself, right? Right, so right. Use it as a financial tool to increase leverage, to make it accredited to yield and return especially when we compare it to MES or PREF as parts of capital stack. And there are a lot of other benefits um, in using ground leases. So how would a developer increase his leverage using a ground lease transaction? So, for example, a developer or owner wants to buy an asset. And uh, we're using typical senior loan to finance the property. So there is uh, equity and there is debt. And potentially, if uh, you want to reduce equity, you use structured financing, MESOPREF. And MESOPREF are very expensive pieces of capital because they're high in capital stack. And um, it's hard to find MES loan or PREF equity piece that will be cheaper than 8%, 8%, right? So ground lease is very attractive because falls in the same category it increases your leverage up to similar level but it costs two times or, or three times less because if the ground lease is structured in the right way lender keeps their leverage whether it's 65 percent or 70 percent uh, with agency loans for example in multifamily but on top of it we add ground lease portion so leverage is increased and at the same time, return and yield are not hurt by the cost of capital. 
For example, you have a total transaction of the land and the improvements of say $100. And normally the developer will bring in $30 and then you'll have debt of 70. If you can reduce the amount that the developer has to pay for the land, say $35, that's a dramatic reduction in the amount of debt that needs to be placed on the deal. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, in terms of um, leverage, it works perfectly with agencies, for example, that okay. gets you up to 70% leverage when you have multifamily stabilized property. With ground lease, your leverage could potentially increase to 86%, 87%. So the amount of equity you'll have to bring is um, instead of uh, 30%, um, percent or whatever measure you use, right? $30, you're bringing 14. Right, right. How are ground leases priced currently? What type of yields are you seeing in the pricing? Anywhere between uh, 3.5 and 4.5, I would say. So It's a lot uh, less than MES and PREF. A yes, lot less. definitely. That's why I mentioned it's like twice or three times less uh, than MES and PREF. We price ground leases um, for a position, lease fee positions uh, based on risk. We price anything based on risk and reward, right? We are buying the safest part of capital stack. The land is presumably the safest part. That's why we can price our capital so cheap. And um, that's the biggest difference um, between ground leases and MES and PREF or any other structured capital you can think of. Are the new ground lease transactions, are they always have a duration of 99 years or something less than that? Most ground lease transactions have a 99-year duration. We're trying to accommodate certain state laws. For example, in New York, if I'm not mistaken, if you lease something, like land, to someone for more than 49 years, it's considered a sale. So we right, don't right. trigger uh, sale tax. And that's why in New York, it's a slightly different term. But in general, you're right. We are in this not for yield. We're in this for steady cash flow over years. And uh, that's why it's 99 years. Yes. Yeah, there's just some new tax regulations, I believe, that at a certain duration, they're forcing companies to capitalize that. Correct. And maybe it's not only New York. Maybe other states have the same issue, but New York is well known for that. Otherwise, 99 years is a typical term. What are some of the terms that are important to protect the interest of the landowner? And what are some of the terms that are needed to be in place on the ground lease to allow the developer to get financing? I know in the past, and still in the case, many lenders often avoid a transaction where a ground lease in place. I think it's because they simply don't do too many deals with ground leases and don't have experience to underwrite those transactions. And hence, they tend to avoid that. But I, I don't think that it's necessarily a fundamental problem. I totally agree. And uh, let's start from lenders perspective. They, some of them just don't do too many ground lease transactions. And uh, some of them are regarding ground leases is truly like a mass of craft piece. It's um, uh, something that increases their risk instead of being at 65% or 70%, whatever the threshold is. Uh, they end up being higher in capital stack and they don't like it. They don't want to be higher. 
or they reduce their amount of senior loan by the amount of grants. So this this happens, by the way, with the CMBS um, transactions a lot because uh, I think this is um, part of the underwriting Fitch model or something. But from lenders' perspective, ground lease has to be 1990 years or close to this uh, term. They don't want to get involved in anything that has less than 40 years left, I believe. Definitely market value resets is something that um, can be in the document. It's no-no. <laughs> for sure, because it creates... Um, potentially a very bad situation for our sponsor, our borrower, right? Our owner. Worst case, they file for bankruptcy if uh, they can't really maintain this payment. So market value resets is something we don't use anymore. That brings to mind increases. So I assume that there are annual increases, say, well, two or 3%, along with some type of inflation reset over a period of time. I don't know what the time period you would you would use. Is that the case as opposed to a market reset which is which causes some large risk to the to the lender and to the uh, to the developer. How are those bumps or increases in lease rates or lease payments made and is there a CPI reindexing over a period of time? Paul, you definitely did your homework well, <laughs> for sure. Well, I don't know. I don't. Uh, we don't do any ground leases, so I don't know much about this area. But you definitely um, read a lot about it, it seems. But you're because you're completely right. We typically look at ground lease payment as expense. You have mm. operating expenses that you underwrite at two percent or three percent increase, if I'm not mistaken. That's a rule of thumb around the country. That's why when for example, some owners are asking me, why is it 2%? Why is it so much? I'm asking in return, what are you using for your operating expenses? 2%. That's why we're also using 2% as a typical ground payment increase, because um, it seems doable. Every expense grows by 2%. Ground lease payment grows by 2%. Makes sense, right? Yes, we have uh, CPI reset. Uh, every 10 years and these might vary uh, depending on the deal but yes if we talk about typical ground lease structure it's a 10-year cpi reset what's interesting because you're getting both you're getting these two percent bumps and you're also getting a cpi which often we don't see you either you have one or the other you know because you're if you're getting two percent then you're willing to place the inflation risk on to the other party. And if you get CPI, then you are, well, it depends on which party you are, but you know, usually you get your cake and eat it too if you get, it, if you get your bumps and you get CPI. And I'm, it's curious, I don't see too many of these transactions where you get to have both. So well done on the, <laughs> on the, yeah, uh, on the side. It's um, really hard to predict the growth rate over 100 years. That's right. why we're trying to Every 10 years, we're trying to bring ourselves close to reality. That's a good point. I mean, I usually do out to say 10-year leases on our yes. commercial assets. We don't do transactions where there's a 99-year duration, which requires an entirely different point of view on structuring those those lease increases. 100%. And if you think about it, 
this portion doesn't have to be refinanced over 100 years. That's a huge benefit. As owner who would do this transaction, right? It reduces uh, your risk. It reduces your interest rate risk. Because uh, we know that um, interest rates are rising and you're protected over this mm. trade rising risk. You've mentioned that the duration remaining on a ground lease can render the ability to get financing basically impossible to get that. What are the other risks that that come up that can cause a destruction in value because of a because of an underlying term that was placed in the ground lease previously that wrecks wreaks havoc on a deal that people need to be aware of? I would say duration is the main one. There there are no, no not many issues that could come up. I talk to lenders all the time, uh, mm. financing leasehold transactions and duration, coverage. Uh, I haven't talked about coverage yet. So when we structure our ground leases, we prefer to be at 25% of NY or less, 25 or less. Uh, and there is a reason for that as well. Again, speaking of long-term duration of our investment, right? 99 years, there will be ups and downs, obviously. Uh, real estate industry, just like any industry, is um, going through cycles. And we understand that NOI might get higher, and hopefully it will every year, might get some trouble, and uh, then it affects the NOI. So that's why we prefer to be at 25%, because... It's very, very unlikely that uh, your NOI will decline by um, 75%. Or it might decline by 10, 15, 20, worst case, right, 30. That's why it matters for lenders as well, not only for us, for lenders. What would happen if there were, say, 35 years left in a ground lease and a developer wants to do a value-add transaction on this parcel, on this land, would he go back to the landowner to renegotiate, to increase the duration of the ground lease to allow him to get financing? Because now you're under 40 years and you begin to have problems. How is that usually handled? Or do they just go without financing? Is, or, there's no debt involved in the deal, which I think would be unlikely. How would you handle that? By the way, not necessarily value add. It could be st stabilized transaction, and still you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to right. get CMBS or bank that on that. So first step would be to renegotiate the ground lease for sure. Okay. Buy them out somehow, or find um, another partner who would love to buy this land if they want, don't want to stay for another hundred years. Right. This would be the right step. Are there certain geographic areas? or asset classes, or transaction types, where you see lots of ground leases involved. Like I, we both know that Manhattan has a lot of ground leases going back you know, decades. Are there other areas in the country that you see a lot of ground? I don't see too many ground leases. Uh, I'm based in Dallas, Texas. I don't do any deals in Manhattan, so but I do know there's a lot up there. What are some of the areas that you see that you see quite common? Actually, we're working on uh, increasing the amount of 
uh, clients in other states than the northern part of the U.S., let's say, mm. because um, it's well-known structure for New York area, New Jersey, uh, northern part of East Coast. But then we recently opened an office, for example, in Miami and down south. And uh, we see a lot of interest in Florida. We see a lot of... Uh, so along the East Coast, there's more and more uh, companies, uh, owners who are interested in this. And uh, when you go from, from north to south, it's a little bit... The amount declines, but we're working on um, improving the situation. And this is simply education of uh, our clients and capital there. Local banks are hesitant, right? We have to talk to them. Usually when we go through... Uh, the document and details and probably lawyers um, can be involved in this point too. There is no more uh, fear that uh, this is something unknown and uh, something that uh, will not end well. You know, people are afraid of something they don't know. When we explain to them in greater detail, they understand, they appreciate, and um, they're willing to do that. I see more and more interest in, in Texas, for example. So we're getting slowly but gradually to the West as well. I think that one, a type of resistance to these type, types of transactions is the lenders and the developers' concern of reversion. Hence, the, the need for a long-duration lease so they don't have to dwell or really worry about this reversion. And plus, putting in the right operating margins so that the improvements can pay for the ground lease so it won't revert. I agree. Yes. And yeah, for many developers, especially when it's family office, mm. they just don't know how it is possible not to own land. But when you describe uh, the structure and the benefits that they're getting, uh, they usually change their mind. We usually we also work with the family offices from uh, different using different approach from different sides. Uh, we actually structure ground leases for them so they stay landowners for hundred years or more, and someone else who who is able to develop property better whether it's multifamily or student housing, good examples. We are able to bring national developer, well-known developer to build or rebuild the property and the family continues owning their land. They're happy with um, several million dollar check every year. And at the same time, there is great property built by some national um, developer as well. I think it's a good solution in some cases because in the past, if a family owned a parcel that was ripe for development, they could A, develop it themselves, which has a lot of risk. Two, they could contribute their land to a JV mm -hmm. and then the operating partner then develops the land with all the risk that entails. If the operator goes down, the land goes with it. And this solution allows them to have income for many years and they don't place 
the land into a vehicle wherein where they have it's potential a lot. where they where they may lose the land or lose the land exactly and it comes back yeah yeah and they eventually their kids or grandkids yeah uh, will um, inherit this property in hundred years I just think it takes a lot of education in some areas of the country and in some asset classes because it's just not normally done at this point hundred percent but then it's important to talk numbers in using mm-hmm. real exam examples real deals we when we talk to new clients for example we are talking about well equity check this is straightforward we just spoke about it that the equity check is reduced but then uh, we talk about depreciation what can you depreciate if you look at your property or what are you usually depreciating land you can depreciate when you don't have land you can depreciate the whole asset that you own right this is very beneficial we talk about taxes uh ground lease payments is uh you can deduct it from NY so it's um decreases your tax payments and this is also very advantageous so uh there are when you start talking numbers people start listening <laughs> when it's just in general about you know, leverage and how great the structure is they might have questions and concerns when you talk about real like depreciation taxes uh, less equity um less risk etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, protection from uh, inflation, right? Uh, refi risk uh, reduced. All these things you discuss and uh, people start listening for sure. How was Eisenberg uh, involved in the ground lease process? So as I mentioned from both sides, depending on uh, uh, client's need, uh, we work a lot with families and uh, bringing national developers to their transactions. Uh, so they can keep the land and uh, possibly put it in a trust uh, so none of their children can <laughs> potentially <laughs> ruin everything. And we work with um, developers, owners uh, who acquire land or existing buildings and as value-add transactions. We come into the deal with them with cash, essentially buying land and leasing back the uh, land so you both facilitate uh, a landowner with a developer well it, and yeah you will you will also buy land in transactions correct not in the okay. same one but yes uh right 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 transaction we 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 can do both and um what is um also important is that when it comes to value add transactions we look at stabilized value and we size ground lease based on stabilized value which um, allows them to get potentially twice the land value day one, even before you know having property stabilized. It significantly reduces the equity ch- check that they have to bring to the table at acquisition. Well, thank you for illuminating so many areas of this area because I, I we don't do ground leases and uh, it's been very helpful to talk about this today. I really appreciate it. And um, I'll put in our show notes how to contact you at Eisenberg. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate you inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of In-Depth Commercial Real Estate. 